Do you believe in ghosts, Professor? Ghosts? <laughs> That's rather a sticky one, isn't it? I'm not quite certain what you mean. I mean, I'm never quite certain what I mean invited to believe when anybody asks me a question like that. From the earliest evidence of belief in an afterlife, from decorated bones to the early gravesites, rituals to the ancient letters to the dead, the details of the afterlife have varied from culture to culture, but the constants remain the same, that the other realm existed, and they were governed by laws. For as long as humans have been self-aware, stories of the dead returning from the realms of the afterlife have always existed, have always been unwelcomed, captivating and mystifying us for generations to come. The idea of ghosts has roots in myths and beliefs of ancient cultures. They believe that funeral rituals were a passage of right to the next world, a goodbye to this world, to prevent the spirit from remaining. Furthermore, the existence of ghosts is believed to be due to uneased feelings. A howl in the night, a change in temperature, an object misplaced or lost. Perhaps it was something more. It was a sense of wanting, a sense of needing to say goodbye one more time. That what was lost could be returned. It could be remorse, it could be regret, it could be something more. Ghost stories are anything but contemporary. They have always been passed down from century to century, through oral tradition or the written word, from ancient Babylon to China, Native America to Japan, from Shakespeare to The Shining. Whether it's a vengeful king, a weeping woman, or an apartment building, these stories have shaped our generation and our modern imagination. Today, we will not try to explain the existence of ghosts. This is not our concern. Rather, we will look at how ghosts have persisted and evolved over time by looking at three different ghost stories from three different parts of the world and how they differed over time. Welcome to a conversation before the world ends and we'll be looking at the history of ghosts. Okay, so welcome to tonight's episode. I'm your host, Kareem. I'm Eamon. Today we'll be focusing on, well, since it's the month of October, and October always signifies Halloween, I think it was perfect timing that we make it a thematic month. Okay, nice. So we'll focus on, I guess, three aspects or three mythological or scary mythological or spooky mythological, um, I don't know, beings whatever ghost stories well not really ghost stories but like things that creep us out and how they've persisted over time so let's say for instance ghosts as today's episode is about Mm -hmm. Um, maybe we could also focus in the future about i don't know witches warlocks occultism satanism whatever that demons Mm -hmm. you know ghouls and jinns whatever that would not be under the ghost category or no ghouls and jinns and demons I know with demons that's a, that's that's another topic not for this podcast for maybe a religious one demons and ghosts yeah for sure um but yeah but I think that we focused on pretty heavy topics I think the last month or so that it's only fair that we kind of go light this month hey people take ghosts seriously it's heavy for some people yeah but we won't go explain the physics or the 
paraphobic be creeping out viewers who are scared of ghosts then yeah then at least they're gonna get a nice horror filled i guess humanities have a thing for being afraid i mean there's a reason why horror movies are one of the most successful genres out there to film i mean it's a guaranteed it's mo- for the most part uh, excluding bye bye man it's mostly a lucrative genre yeah very and it's yeah it's interesting even horror literature is pretty popular too i mean true true the most famous authors that come to mind usually are horror authors yep yep uh stephen king Arl stein Arl stein and rice mary shelley yeah edgar Allan poe Mm-hmm. so yeah so there's something about horror that captivates the human psyche or the human imagination now this theory is on to why uh, maybe it's the fact that it goes against the rules of the common or the known world and it's always that thing about the unknown maybe that's what captivates us to like to I think it probably just triggers a chemical that fear you know yeah but what causes fear Yeah, well, I mean, to each their own. Like, people can be scared of spiders and others aren't, so it really depends, right? That's true. So do you believe in ghosts? Nah, not no. really. Like, not uh, maybe. <laughs> no, in the no side, nothing is definitive. But? They could be... Could be what? Interdimensional beings. Um, not necessarily. <laughs> they could be misinterpreted as ghosts, but not ghosts. So what, like, aliens? Possibly. Hmm. I believe in aliens more than ghosts, but I could see people thinking aliens are ghosts. The same way how people interpret demons as... Yeah, for sure. So that's one realm of the supernatural. You're in the one realm of almost science. The science fiction, fiction of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I personally don't uh, believe in ghosts. I think it's uh, it's something that we've told ourselves. It started off as life lessons, maybe, and then it evolved into something else. Maybe. Um, I don't even buy into this whole energy thing, but that's just me, and I'm pretty sure it loves uh, other people. You know, something interesting, and a bit off topic. So I was reading an article. The guitarist of Ramstein, Richard Cripps, is he the guy for Immigrate? I don't know if it's him, but yeah. Yeah, he said that there are no more stadium bands that there's never going to be a big metal band that could sell out a stadium uh, anymore like he's like maybe Ramstein will be the last like one of the last few you know and i'm assuming he's like putting slip now with Ramstein. and so it was interesting so it's like the band that he brought up can you ever see ghost sell a stadium these days and it got me thinking i'm like is ghost now become like the biggest new band in the scene probably yeah and in terms of relevance especially with the stranger things nod that they got recently Yeah, so I don't know. So it was just interesting how he name dropped Ghost. I guess, okay, they're the next big thing, right? But they didn't really break out into a phenomenon, you know? Yeah, but it takes time to break out. Metallica didn't break out right away. That's true. It took Metallica almost 10 years. Yeah. But yeah, but I don't know. I just found it interesting um, that he mentioned Ghost and Great Band. But yeah, it's just an interesting comment. And I thought it was an interesting um, say, like that there's no more bands like Salat Stadium. Anyway, so let's not deviate too much. Um, let's talk about. <laughs> I'm so confused why we had that segue. I don't know because I just came. It just came to mind because I was I thinking. I thought he was going to mention something about ghosts. The band? No, just ghosts. No, no. That you're going to quote him about his interpretation of supernatural stuff. No, no. Because I was thinking of when we were talking about ghosts. Ghosts. The band Ghost came to mind because um, why not? Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, but it's, it's random. <laughs> it's just. A, it's just. A, yeah, that's why I said okay to go off topic slightly. Off topic, not related to the matter under discussion slightly way <laughs> well, off topic well it's the name is still there right yeah 
Anyways, let's go back. The origins of ghosts, reminds, not the band. <laughs> it reminds me of this band called Origin. <laughs> There is a band called Origin, no? probably. So the origin of ghosts, the not band? the band, okay. the entity, mm-hmm. might be lost to time. So no one really knows how the origins of ghosts came to be. But the earliest form of any kind of ghost story or any mention of ghosts dates back to. All the way to ancient Babylon, right? Where there was a tablet found around the year of 15,000, this is like 15,000, 1500 BCE. And it has been believed to be the earliest depiction of a ghost ever told, right? Mm-hmm. So, as I said in the top of the episode, three ghost stories from three different eras, from three different cultures. But how was it depicted to you? Do you have that? Comes down to the story of Gilgamesh and how when he went, uh, when he sent his. Uh, uh, he saw the, the body of his. Friend, he, he sent to the underworld. His friend went as a ghost, I think. Yeah, because the story of Gilgamesh definitely started all sorts of stories. So it's the story of all stories, right? It's the... Yeah. Everything. So every story you could think about, whether there's a flood, a snake. It's all in Gilgamesh. Immortality, science fiction. Yeah. Uh, waging war on the gods, all that stuff. The first story won't be in ancient Babylon, but it will be in another ancient civilization. We'll be looking at ancient Egypt. So in ancient Egypt, the return of a ghost was something not to be trifled with. Like, as you know, the dead would travel to the Hall of Truth, where they would be judged by Osiris and the 42. Osiris and the 42 would pretty much, as you know, have the heart weighed on a balance against a white feather. If it was lighter than the feather, you proceed on to the afterlife. If it was heavier, your heart would be taken and thrown to be eaten by Emmet, the crocodile, right? The crocodile monster. Yep. And the soul will be doomed for restless eternity in the duat. You end up somewhere. Right? You either end up in paradise or you end up in the duat, restless or happy, right? Mm-hmm. So, if a ghost ever showed up in ancient Egypt, that means something went horribly wrong. You know, ghosts are not supposed to come back from the, the afterlife. They didn't make it. No, so which means two things it means proper rights were not observed. Or some sin was committed against the person that his soul has returned by the decree of the gods to the earth to right the wrong. So okay. Like a, a revenge thing. Exactly. Like, so the beginning of our story is lost. Two sentences are missing. Really? Yeah. But the, from the info gathered, we kind of pretty much have the story out. The story was found on a pottery, which dates back to the year 1570 BCE. Which Around the same time as uh, the original tablet. Gilgamesh stuff. Yeah. So the following story is pretty much, I'm going to read it from W.K. Simpson's Literature of Ancient Egypt and Anthology of Stories, Instructions, Autobiographies, and Poetry. Okay? Ready for the story? Let's hear it. According to his habit... After the way he had done, he ferried across and reached his home. He caused the offerings to be prepared by saying, I will provide him with all sorts of goods when I go to the west side. Now, no one really knows exactly who's the I in that story. So that's the missing part. First two sentences. Yeah. Why was it missing? Because they found it on broken a pottery. Oh, pottery, so the book. Yeah. So anyway, so after that, we find that... How did they know it was the first two sentences? Because mm-hmm. of the size of the pottery? Uh, yeah, kind of like puzzling, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then probably like then a tra- sentence is worth this amount of pottery. So if this is, amount is missing, then it must be two sentences. Exactly. Okay, cool. So the story centers around the character called Amun Khosnistahab. And the story goes that he went up to the roof and invoked the gods of the sky and the earth, the southern, northern, western, eastern, and the gods of the underworld, saying to them, send me the August spirit. And so he came to him and said to him, I am yours, who has come to sleep during the night next to his tomb. Then the high priest said to him, please tell me your name, your father's name and your mother's name that I may offer to them and do them all that has been done for those in their position. So from what we gather from this story so far is that a man went to tell the high priest of a restless spirit he encountered. So the high priest went and called upon the spirit to come so he could see why he was restless. 
So the August spirit answers him and says that his name is Neb Yusakhmet, father's name is Ekhman, and his mother's name is Tamashaz. Then the high priest of Amun-Ra, the king of the gods, said to him, Tell me what you want that I may have it done for you. That may have a sepulcher prepared anew for you and have a coffin of gold, wood made for you. And you shall rest there. And I shall have done for you all that is done for one who is in your position. So it's like, okay, so it's kind of well known at this point that the restless spirit. So it's pretty much known that there was something wrong with his uh, funeral processions, right? And that he's going to fix it for him. The August spirit then sent to him, No one can be overheated who is exposed to the wintry wind, the hungry without food. It is not my desire to overflow. Not seeing my tomb, I would not reach it. And there, there have been made to me promises. For all we know that his coffin is missing and that it's been exposed to wind. And he has not been able to be offered food or any of the... So his carcass is starving of sorts. Because you know how it was back then. You yeah. provide food to... And gold and whatnot. Yeah, yeah and it, you take it with you to the afterlife, right? Yeah, unless you're punished. Exactly. Like Imhotep. Yeah, I'm thinking of <laughs> Shout out to Imhotep. Now, after he had finished speaking, the high priest of Amun-Ra sat down and wept beside him with a face full of tears. And he addressed the spirit by saying, How badly you fare without eating or drinking, without growing old or becoming young, without seeing sunlight or inhaling the northly breeze. Darkness is in your sight every day. Do you not get up early to leave? Then the spirit said to him, When I was alive upon the earth, I was an overseer of the treasury for the king, Minutep, and I was the lieutenant of his army, having been at the head of men and the nigh of gods. I went to rest in year 14 during the summer months of the king of upper and lower Egypt, Menotep. He gave me four canopic jars and a sarcophagus, and he had done for me all that is done in one's position. He laid me to rest in my tomb, and with a shaft of ten cubits. See, the ground beneath has deteriorated and dropped away. The wind blows there and seizes my tongue. Now as for your having promised me, I have it four times already that it will be done in accordance with them. But what am I to make of your promises? You have just made to me, so all these things may succeed in being executed. But the ghost is not convinced by the high priest's promise of giving him his proper rights. Because it didn't happen already, so how can he know it's going to happen now? Exactly, and he's saying that he's like, I was the lieutenant of an army. How will you afford to give me my funeral right like it's too grand well for you to you're gonna overcommit. then the high priest of Amun-Ra said to him please express to me a fine commission so it should be fit done for you and I shall surely have it done for you I will send you five men servants and five maid servants totaling ten devoted to you in order to pour you libations of water for you and I'll have a sack of emmer delivered daily to be offered for you also the overseer of offerings shall pour libation waters for you the spirit said to him of what use are the things you would do Unless a tree is exposed to sunlight, it does not sprout. So then the ghost just disappears from the priest and he just leaves him. So, and then the priest wakes up the next day, still convinced that he could help the ghost, right? Mm-hmm. So he goes to his temple and he starts, uh, he gets like a group of men to go out to look for his deteriorated uh, tomb. And they find it out in the necropolis. His heart became joyful that when they told him that they found the tomb of the August spirit. Uh, he summoned the deputy Amun Meknu and informed him who's like a senior official to make him a funeral rites, right? And to build him a, like a sepulcher for him. Him. And then this is the odd thing because then the story ends with that he returned to the night to spend in the necropolis and just finishes. For the priest? Yeah. So no one really knows exactly how the story finishes because it's lost. Mm-hmm. But but see, it's assumed that priest remained true to his word and it's most likely that the story ended happily ever after. Back in the day, ancient Egyptians didn't really make scary stories. They were more Origin. concerned with um, giving you a lesson, right? 
It was more, I think, about if you're going to bury your dead, bury, stick to your words with how you bury them or else they will never rest. Exactly. And it's interesting because like what we learned from these stories is that perhaps like, so perhaps the priest himself is not a real character, right? It's fictional. It's not based on a true person, but it is based in a real location, right? It's based in the city of the dead, Necropolis, right? Yeah. Um, and by you setting a story in Necropolis, it's like you setting a hard story next to a graveyard or built on an Indian burial ground, you know? So you kind of create a legitimate site. Yeah, where the, how the ghost can come back, yeah. And by making it a priest, who's the main uh, hero of the story, it's like pretty much like in The Exorcist, where you have a priest who's the For main... Sure, yeah. yeah. So then it adds more believability that the priest would be able to speak with ghosts because the only people who were able to speak with ghosts in ancient Egypt were priests or oracles. And the summoning is like a Ouija board kind of thing. Exactly. In ancient Egypt, like we said, the stories wasn't, wasn't meant to spook you. And I don't think back in back in ancient times, the stories weren't meant to be horror stories, but more of life lessons. You know what I mean? It's scary. Like, if you don't do this, then the fear is that your loved one will, will not, not be, will not rest. That was the fear. They didn't see ghosts as something scary, but as simple, like a simply a natural existence. It's a natural form of existence you guard yourself against. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of emphasis on burial rites. A lot of uh, honoring of the dead. And like ancient societies of the time, all of them had the same type of story, right? To honor the dead. Since the afterlife was considered like simply a continuation of life, uh, ghosts were soul in need of help and not a scary entity. Yeah. So your job was to take this guest from your life to the next, you know? Yeah. So this is the first story just to show you like how ancient people saw ghosts as. At the time, yeah. Yeah. Part two, uh, and the second ghost story is perhaps maybe one of the most popular ghost stories ever told in Japanese culture. Uh, shout out to Khidr. Oh, he mentioned it too? No, but because he's, uh, he's the Lebanese foreign emissary to Japan, right? Yes, yes, of course. <laughs> anyway, back to the story. You know what? I should really ask him on the pronunciation of these words, but um, we should be fine, which is the story of Iwa and uh, and Iman, or known as the Yitsuwa Kaden. Okay, so it's a tragic tale full of betrayal and murder. Which has been adopted, adopted, which has been adapted in one form or another, and like over thirty films, animes, plays. Damn. Yeah, it's one. It's considered a classic, and it's been a major influence on J horror for the longest time. Okay. I don't know if there will be a movie that will come to mind, but I could just tell you that the character herself was kind of she kind of inspired the girl from The Ring. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. Because that's a, probably the most popular Japanese horror. Is it or is it The Grudge? Ah, uh, The Grudge. Either one of those two for sure. Mm, have you ever seen the Japanese Grudge? Yeah. Is it yeah, spooky? Yeah. What about the Japanese Ring? I haven't seen it. I don't think I've seen the Japanese Grudge. I had a phase with the Asian cinema. And the I horror. saw. I saw the audition. Yeah, yeah. Also, like yeah, but they're all the same, right? Even like South Korean uh, horror movies at the time. It's very folk folklore. And no? young girl, this young girl yeah. that it's always about a young girl, right? Yeah, who's been uh, her soul is lost and she's spooking the house, but it's not her fault. No, and it's more she's vengeful, right? Yes, but sympathetically vengeful. Yeah, like she's been betrayed in life. Yeah, like her father killed her or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so our story was written eighteen twenty five by Tsuruya Nambuku the fourth, and this was kind of conceived to be a kabuki play mm-hmm. told in five acts. I kind of low key. I should have googled how a kabuki play looks like because I'd imagine it would look pretty dope. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I love kabuki masks. Mm. Our second story begins in the dark, right? Where Amon, uh, Ronin which is pretty much a masterless samurai or Keanu Reeves, depending on if you watch the movie or not, mm-hmm. <laughs> was kneeling in front of a, in front of his father-in-law on a dusty road. Uh, his father-in-law was named Yutsuye Samson. Not Samson. Salmon. Sorry. 
Salmon. Salmon. Where they were having a heated exchange over his daughter, Iowa, uh, where Salmon believed that, that she's not really being taken care of and that her demands weren't being met by this Ronin. So he kind of uh, tells Amon to separate from his daughter. Amon, of course, protests this and tries to plea with him. And his pleas turn to anger. And an enraged Amon pretty much murders Samson. I'll keep saying Samson, fuck Salmon, so swiftly in the dead of night, right? Mm-hmm. A petty criminal named Nasuke witnesses the ordeal and promises not to tell if Amon could help him marry his wife's sister. Also, his wife's sister? Yeah. Amon's wife's sister? Yeah. Or his wife's sister? No, no. Amon's. Uh, okay. Not Amon. Amon's. Amon's. <laughs> so you don't feel a sort of. Uh, Relation to this character. Mm. Though she's promised to another man, they both conspired to kill her fiancé and then blame the death of her father-in-law and her fiancé, his father-in-law and his wife's sister's fiancé on a bandit, right? On a robber who's, uh, who fled, fled into the night. He then proceeds to go home and tell his wife that her father has been ruthlessly murdered. Eamon assures her that the murderer just moved into the next town and he decides that they should go to avenge her father. You know, the samurai on, right? Mm-hmm. She agrees and they both head out on their journey. Uh, when they get there, they decide to start a new life. Eamon can't really find the job. Oya does. And she starts supporting both him and her, right? Mm-hmm. On the other hand, he decides to spend all his days telling people or telling anyone who would listen how he will avenge his father's in law death and this was um, when he meets a rich man named Ito and his granddaughter Omi okay who are both smitten by this Ronin charm and courage that Omi begins to fall in love with Iman and wishes to marry him okay the grandfather also tries to pressure Iman to marry his daughter as well by flaunting his wealth and saying that he will inherit so much money if he marries his granddaughter mm-hmm. but there's one problem he's married. he's married so I guess to get rid of this predicament the grandfather and the granddaughter start scheming by providing the wife with a facial cream she starts applying the facial cream thinking that it's going to retain her youth or something and unbeknownst to her this figures her face Damn. Yeah, her eyes become droopy and, and like she becomes like disfigured on the right side of her face. Uh, upon seeing her face, Iman decides that he no longer can be with her, tries to pursue a divorce mm-hmm. while he starts having an affair with Omi. For the divorce to go through back then, he needed a valid reason. So he goes to seek his friend and brothel owner Takutsu to rape his wife for him, right? And then he could frame her for infidelity. Sure. So Takutsu goes into the room and when he sees her face, he's horrified at what he sees. So he gives her a mirror. Oya, upon seeing her face for the first time, starts to notice that her hair is beginning to fall off in clumps. And her face has begun... She hasn't seen the mirror since? She hasn't looked in the mirror since. She begins to notice her hair is falling off in clumps. She can't even retain her hair. Takutsu then explains to her that he was sent by her husband to do his deed, uh, which kind of made her go hysterical and fly into a fair of rage, which I guess would make sense, right? Yeah. She picks up a sword and she runs to, towards him to kill him. Takutsu? To kill Takutsu. That's a good dude. Yeah, but he was about to rape her. But he said I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> he is a bad dude. But then he evades her, right? Causing her to hit the wall, the sword puncture her own throat. Like other stories will say that she commits suicide. Others say that she just ran into a wall and the, the sword pierced through her. Suicide makes more sense. Uh, yeah, but she either. She sees her face, kills herself. While she gurgles on her own blood, she curses her husband that she'll forever haunt him. So that's two now. Mm-hmm. Her husband, uh, being the loyal husband that he is, marries Omi as soon as his wife dies. And on the wedding night, when he's about to consummate the marriage, he sees Oya Onoru's, uh, Oya's Onru. What's Onru? Her, her ghost, her spirit. Mm-hmm. That's the Japanese word for spirit. Thinking that it's her and not her spirit, he takes out his sword and he begins stabbing at Oya, only to notice that his new bride is lying in a pool of blood. So he runs out of the room. 
and when he runs out of the room he begins to see his uh, wife's face Oya again so he goes in for the attack only to find that he killed her grandfather this, the disfigured face or the normal face the disfigured face okay he and every time he would see her he would go for an attack just to notice that he was killing another family member wow. he ended up annihilating the whole Ito family the new married family he got into and during that same time and this is where we get into a subplot so remember Nasuke mm-hmm. criminal who saw the murder yeah. and he's like I want to marry your wife's sister mm-hmm. so he's trying to pressure his wife's sister he's trying to pressure we'll call her Osodi I think that's how you pronounce it to consummate their marriage right but she seems um, she seems oddly averse to doing so and when he's about when he's trying to convince her her ex-fiance appears to her as a ghost and accuses her of adultery she resigns herself and in shame and in kind of trying to seek atonement, she convinces that she needs to be murdered by her husband. And she leaves a farewell note. He reads the note. And from when he reads the note, he learns that... So he actually killed her? Yeah, yeah. So he learns that Osodi was actually his younger sister. Oh, damn. Yeah, I know. East Asia, man. Even the 1800s, they had those plot twists. Um, good thing they didn't consummate. Yeah, it's a good thing. But yeah, she was his, actually his younger sister. And for the shame of what he was, he did, as well as for killing his former, uh, killing her, like the fiance, he commits suicide. So that's the end of his story, right? So now we're left with Amon, right? Amon. With the whole remaining members of the Ito family annihilated, and Uwa still haunting him through lanterns, faces, anywhere he goes, Amon pretty much decides to run away, and he tries to hide in an isolated mountain cave. And he thinks that, like, by being isolated, she won't be able to haunt him because there's nothing around him to haunt him as well yeah so she appeared to him through the lantern that he had he had like a single lantern in the cave and she's she appeared to him through there making him go mad merging his reality and his dreams together he couldn't tell what was real and what wasn't so yeah so he, he would begin his slow descent into madness right with everything merging at once and Oya promising she would never let him rest until his death his brother-in-law or his his wife's sister's fiance comes to him and turns out that he didn't end up dying. That he fell, but he didn't die when they murdered him. They somehow survived the murder attempt. Seeing Amon in the mountain, insane and delusional, and somewhat feeling somewhat of compassion, decided to kill him. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Birds real fine, ready to go. Good, I hope you have a good flight today. Thank you. I'm Captain Don Severance from Tennessee. Presently, I've been in sick Vietnam six months today, and I'm just about to fly my 136th mission, combat mission in Vietnam. As soon as I get back to the States, I'm planning on renewing my flying career in Phoenix, Arizona. And along with my flying career, I found that another career to plan for is the future. And in the future, in my sight, has always been United States savings bonds. I plan to continue to save so that when I retire, I can plan to settle down in the spot of my choice and, as in the storybooks, live happily ever after. So I'll start and then you do the sound effect. So this was the story of Omi and Amon. And um, as you could tell from the story, it's as if it would inspire a lot of countless vengeful uh, ghost stories. Uh, so the thing is with Japan, 
Japan is heavily inspired from Shinto belief of the spirit or notions of the anima, as you will. And they believe that um, the spirit or the soul, like it lives within all existence and it's a phenomena. And it also could exist in everyday things, right? So like objects, plants, mountains, they can be defined as kamis, right? Or deities. Hence why the go- her ghost was able to appear in a lantern to haunt him and in fire and whatnot. Yeah. So the thing is in Japan, this connection between the natural and the spiritual world creates a complex understanding and it also creates a sort of respect for everything, right? That you have to have a respect uh, for everything around you. I guess he didn't respect his uh, marriage or his seniors or... No, but also the idea of like having respect to object, like respecting objects in Japan is such a big thing because yeah. these objects could be a vessel of long-lost ancestors. So, I'm guessing, especially that uh, the culture at the time believed in reincarnation. Yeah, exactly. So... Those who have had an unnatural death or left something unresolved or had to face, um, again, with ancient Egyptian uh, mythology, if the funeral rites were not practiced to perfection, uh, this would mean that uh, you'd be stuck between the living and the dead, right? Yeah, it wasn't meant to scare you as much as it's a cautionary tale. These, you find that these stories are all about moralities, right? Yeah. But the thing is, past this certain point, the folklore, like the legend of what's real and what's mythology begins to blur. And then this is where we begin to see like actual stories of people who've experienced hauntings. Over time, they'll become their own urban legends. Yeah, but it's even if you're going to say that material things could be haunted, then all it takes is for a lamp to fall and people who believe the stories would be like, it's from that cautionary tale or there's something there, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's like because it could be in anything and everywhere, it convinces people no matter what that this is it. It's, a, it's an interesting thing because like, as you know, Japanese um, sto- ghost stories, um, horror, these stories would manifest later on into the ring, uh, the grudge, dark water, which is all pretty much famous Japanese horror movies that would eventually seep into American horror movie, mm-hmm. giving rise to J-horror. Like, I think we underestimate how much go- Japanese ghost stories have opened American markets to sure, yeah. to Asian cinema. For sure, especially uh, be- a creepy young girl, little girl kind of stuff. Yeah. Exactly. And of course, if you look at The Rank or The Grudge, it's about someone who's always been wrongfully killed or wrongfully, uh, something wrong has happened. In the- they've and been then, wronged in and life. And the person has to uh, fix re- that wrong. Release their soul and source, bury their body where it should have been. Find their like corpse. That. Anyways, but our third story is now not a mythology, nor is it like a folklore, but it's actually based in true, it's based on a true story that actually happened. And in this one, we're going to venture to the United States of America. America. And we're going to be going to Tennessee. Tennessee. (laughs) And we're going to be talking about the ghost of or the Bell Witch haunting. Have you ever heard of the name Bell Witch, except for the band, Bell Witch? Not exactly. I was going to say it's the band, yeah. So, have you ever heard the song from Bell Witch? I think so, yeah. What genre would you assume, if, if it's based on a haunting from Tennessee in the 19th century, what genre do you think it would? I'm guessing it's one of those new age, like, uh, what's it called? Like Zealand Ardor style. Like, Bla- black like metal? No, s- like soul, dark soul music. Okay, I get you. Kind of like... Um, Dead Souls, yeah. Yeah, and they're more into um, doom. Doom. If think about funeral doom, if you consider like those twenty-minute songs, so 
Anyways, let's get into the story of the Bell Witch. Let's hear it. So, this story takes us to Tennessee to 1817. Mm-hmm. Okay? And this, we're going to reference a few articles and books. So, the haunting of the Bell Witch began sometime in 1817 when John Bell from Bell Witch. <laughs> uh, it's in the name. It's <laughs> when John Bell witnessed the apparition of a strange creature resembling a dog in his farm, right? Mm-hmm. Bell fired the fired at the animal, but the animal soon disappeared. John's son, also Drew Bell, approached an unknown bird perched on one of the fences that flew off when he came close to it, and apparently he's never seen a bird like this before. Their daughter Betsy observed the girl in a green dress swinging from the limb of an oak tree, sinister style. Uh, Dean, a person enslaved, that's how they wrote in the article, enslaved by the Bell family, reported that there was a large dog on the premises every evening. Mm-hmm. So these were the first sightings or first hauntings, if you will, right? Okay. Okay, and then it pretty much moved from hauntings outside of the house to hauntings inside the house. So the Bell family would um, hear knocking on doors, on walls. The family would hear sounds of gnawing on beds, invisible dogs fighting at night, and of course, chains rattling on the floor. Okay. But they would have no explanation where these sounds were coming from. And it was around this time that John Bell started to get a bit of a paralysis on his face. His apparent, Some sources say his mouth, half of his mouth was paralyzed. Oh, kind of like a bell palsy type of thing. Um, some people say his left side started getting paralyzed. What was his age? Uh, he was young. He was like, I okay. think he was in his 40s. Okay, uh, the f- old at the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess 1817. Life expectancy was 50, 60? Uh, okay. I wouldn't know. Um, so, but apparently the phenomena grew in intensity as later on uh, sheets were being pulled from the bed when the kids were asleep. Um, Soon the entity would start pulling at hair, scratching the children, with, with emphasis focused on Betsy, okay. uh, who was slapped, pinched, and struck with. She would wake up with welts, red welts on her body, with no explanation how it came to be. The Bell family then turned to a family friend named James Johnston for help, right? After spending a night at the Bell house, he woke up to find the same phenomenon. Like he was experiencing the same phenomenon. He woke up with scratches on his body, his hair was being pulled out. And that morning he told John Bell that it was a spirit just like in the Bible. Now soon word of the hunting would spread around the city. Well, I guess it's a village. It would spread around the village or the town. And people would come to see this ghost or this witch. The terminology kind of differs. So like they called her the witch, but it was like the spirit of the witch. The apparition also started to speak out loud. And that's when it started to have a voice. And when it would be asked questions, it would answer. So, for example, when it was asked, who are you and what do you want? She would say, I'm a spirit. I was once very happy, but now I've been disturbed. The spirit often uh, like gave explanations on how it appeared, talking about how it was like the origin of its story was that this house was built on. And you want to take a guess built on what? Native grounds. Exactly. And that... Um, it would, it would also tell the village members that there was treasure buried somewhere on the premises. Of course, that meant the family would go look for it, but of course, it was to no avail. Um, also, with the emergence of full conversations, the spirit would also start showing its tricks where it would recite sermons that was happening two towns across and it would recite verbatim what was the sermon about. Pretty talkative. Yeah, sure. for, for a ghost, yeah. Um, the entity would also was very well acquainted with the Bible and it would quote the Bible often. It would also engage the family in religious arguments 
Interesting. For amusement. Did the witch tell, did the witch tell them why I was pulling their hair and scratching them? Uh, not really. Hmm. Uh, that's something I'd ask. Well, if they did, no one in the articles ever mentioned it. So I'm assuming that... Like, you think the witch would be like, I'm sorry I did that to you since they got along. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I just wanted your attention. Yeah, you guys are cool. So as another form of amusement, the ghost would start sharing gossips and activities uh, about activities that are happening in other houses. It would also appear and leave in brief moments of time. Apparently, it would go visit other places to haunt. Interesting. John Johnston, the son of James, uh, the one who spent the night in the house, yeah. uh, devised the test for the, wi- uh, for the witch or the ghost. I don't know. We're going to flip-flop. So he devised the test for it, right? That someone outside, no one outside of his family would be able to answer the question. He would ask the ghost, what, what, what? What, what, what? (laughs) He would ask the ghost, uh, what would his uh, Dutch step-grandmother in North Carolina say when she thought her slaves did something wrong? The ghost replied with his grandma's accent, hut, tut. What has happened now? In other accounts, an Englishman stopped by and offered to investigate only to find that the ghost would speak to him in his parents' accent and his parents' voice. He apparently left the morning writing to the Bell family that he apologized for ever being a skeptic. Times, the spirit would display acts of kindness, especially towards Lucy, John Bell's wife. Uh, She would also give uh, Lucy fruits. She would sing her songs. She would also be kind to her kids. But to the father, she said that she wanted to kill him. (laughs) So extreme. Yeah. And she signaled that her intention was to afflict him through curses and that she would poison him. Wow. Now, the fact that he was starting to get paralyzed in the left side of his face. Coincided with her. Apparently, yeah. So the story climaxes. uh, John being poisoned by the witch, which would eventually meet his demise, right? And apparently when people came to mourn him, she would interrupt the mourning by singing songs, like drinking songs. In 1821, as a result of the witch's entreatment, the youngest daughter, Betsy, was forced by the witch to cancel her engagement to a guy called Joshua Gardner. She said that if she hadn't canceled the engagement, the witch would cause her harm as she did to her father. So she hated men, it seemed. And uh, the youngest daughter. Which is, I don't know if this started that trope of... Where they possess the youngest child. Or they focus their whole energy on the youngest child. You know what I mean? That's because they're most vulnerable. I don't think it's the same trope, but interesting. Um, Maybe because it's like the epitome of innocence, right? True. She said that once the daughter broke off the engagement, she would leave. And she would return in seven years. In 1828, the witch did actually return back to Lucy and her kids. And pretty much it was the same thing all over again. She would spend the days with them, singing songs, causing havoc around the house. And then she would leave again. So by then, by the time she left, she never came back, right? That was like the last time anyone saw her, 1828. Apparently, Andrew Jackson, the future president of the United States, who was from a neighboring city, heard about the witch and came to visit to investigate. This is like an account that uh, not really verified, like it's an oral tradition almost that he passed by. Uh, Some people attributed her to be a vampire. Some people assumed that she was a djinn. But until now, no one really knows what's the story behind it, like where she came from, how did she come? Uh, Richard Williams Bell, he wrote that the spirit remained a mystery, whether it was witchery, such as the afflicted person in the past and dark and past centuries and darker age, whether some gifted fiend of hellish nature practicing sorcery or selfish enjoyment, or some modern science akin to that of memorism, or some hobgoblin native to the wilds of this country, or a disembodied soul shot out from heaven, or an evil spirit like those of Paul, or an evil spirit like those Paul drove out of the man in the sw- into the swine, <laughs> setting them mad, or if it was a demon let loose in hell, I am unable to decide, nor has anyone yet divined in its nature or caused for appearing. 
I trust this this uh, I, I trust this description of the monster in all forms and shapes and of many tongues which leads experts to make come with a wiser generation to correct the conclusion and to satisfy the explanation what happened to the ghost well apparently it would every now and then it would appear to people who like live in the house afterwards in 1890 a family said that it, it was visited by the ghost again in the 1930s as well so where does this legend go in the 20th century right in 1937 there was reports of quirky events that was happening from the owner of the farm who bought the farm into what was called the bell witch cave which is a cave located near the farm he would hear unexplained noises coming from inside the cave descendants of the bell family also described that the sound of something rubbing against the house like a paper like object that flew to the door and re-entered through the side door apparently they could hear faint music being played apparently a group of quarry men uh, when they went inside the bell witch cave to quarry some rocks saw a figure of a woman sitting on top of the cliff uh, causing many people to run away apparently a minister in the group later claimed to have investigated and discovered it was just a moonlight creating a figure in the rocks yeah. yeah yeah and that's pretty much it like again you'd see sightings in the 20th century but there was nothing um as concrete yeah it just became an urban legend right mm-hmm. what's what was the blair the blair witch what was the bell witch uh giveaway on what it inspired later so what was the bell witch it shows how easily a legend and myth can be mistaken for fact right so this is clearly like a myth or a mythology like just a folk tale about this family that's being haunted to attract people into the city as well yeah you know like like in alex you remember with his story about the rujdi apartment yeah which is like apparently a haunted apartment yeah, yeah. No one really knows who lived there, but you've always heard about like this family who moved in. They would wake up and naked outside. Yeah, you know. So I think it's one of those. It's just like a gossip tale that just went around, yeah. and it just became some sort of rea- it took some sort of reality of its own. If you were to argue that this happened, the only other logical explanation would be a multi-dimensional being. If you were to argue, because then it would be able to travel to other places, analyze that person's family, come back and rehearse it back. Gee. This would be if it were to happen. Mm-hmm. Like it just, uh, ghosts could be just living in different dimensions in the same house, and a temporary overlap of dimensions happen. Do you so? Do you think it could have been a scam by the Bell family? Absolutely. Like, like, kind of like the Atmeville. I wonder if they charged people to come and see the ghost and talk to her. And maybe it was like one of the daughters uh, faking. And they like a silhouette kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, that's probably the most logical thing. But if I were to suspend my belief, it could be just, you know, multi-dimension thing. I'd believe that more than a ghost. So, question. Would you entertain ghosts over magic witches? Interesting. Will I entertain ghosts over magic? Yes. So, you think there's a bigger possibility of ghosts over someone doing conjuring up, like, spirits by using black magic? Yeah, but I do think black magic is purely psychological. If someone thinks is cursed, he or she is cursed, then they are cursed. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, if you think you're ridden with bad luck and you're going to get sick, your mind will do it to you. So I think it's not necessarily... Placebo. For sure. But I would more likely believe in ghosts than actual real-life magic sorcery. You would entertain the fact that ghosts are interdimensional beings. Yes. Like there's a, a 1% a, chance that that could be it. A, it's more likely than a spirit being resurrected. So that. I was reading an article on how uh, during coronavirus or during the pandemic... 
or during lockdown to be exact there's been reports high reports of people seeing ghosts and i guess the survey of people seeing ghosts expanded so like now for example in australia in uk and america you're looking at like 50 45 to 50 percent of the population believing in ghosts interesting so you're kind of pretty much uh, on a 50 50 you know what i mean yeah the idea why i brought up the pandemic is because i think it's interesting when people were in a state of lockdown in a state of loneliness it kind of filled the void to have to know that something else was with you because what most people experienced or what most people talked about was they thought they saw a loved one who passed away came coming back so if for example a lady would say that her faucet kept opening and closing and she assumed it was her deceased sister because this is the type of prank she would do there's a sense of longing and this is why I find ghosts fascinating. I've always found, like, especially, like, I personally don't really buy into this interdimensional. Like, maybe, I don't know, but I'm more of a skeptic than you are when it comes to that. I don't buy into ghosts, but I do think that the mind does play a trick on it, whether it will be sleep paralysis, where you're, like, between the stage of consciousness and unconsciousness, and your mind creates an image that you're being haunted or you're seeing a ghost. I could I could see that. I could also see missing someone so much who's, been, who's parted away that the thought cannot, like, you cannot overbear, or you cannot, like, the thought of them leaving is too overbearing that, that they're with you. So you begin to almost hallucinate their existence again. It would make sense why, during COVID, the numbers of ghosts claims have increased because they were in home not going anywhere much and all that so you become more around of your surroundings and back in the day they probably stayed home more and didn't do much as well and stayed in their house and more in isolation so i think it's just probably when people are alone all day in their house i mean is it a surprise that most ghost sightings are usually in suburban areas or farmlands or isolated areas for sure yeah yeah now, I tried to find a ghost story that was Middle Eastern, but a lot of Middle Easterns just chalk it up to there is no ghosts. It's just a, a gen, gen yeah. dressed up as a person who's deceased to fool you. Mm, for sure. Um, so I didn't want to get into one of those. Even though I'll tell you something interesting, though. There was a gen, a story of a gen that pretty much his voice echoes through the mountains, and it was called Hatif. Interesting. Uh, Hatif for you who, who don't speak Arabic is now what we call phones. I guess the formal way of calling a phone. Interesting. So it's interesting that it started off from a jinn that echoes throughout the mountain. So the Bell Witch, back to the Bell Witch. Now, why is the Bell Witch legend important? Because the legend pretty much had a lot of influence on cinema. It influenced movies such as The Poltergeist. It influenced Paranormal Activity. I'm sure it, it influenced The Shining. Uh, yeah, most likely. The, the trope of being built on an end in the burial ground started off from the belt which so yeah. you have the shining you have pet cemetery say with me the Adamyville horror the yeah. movie mama was apparently partially inspired from the bell witch mm-hmm. the movie the american haunting was inspired from bell witch and also maybe one of the most infamous the blair witch project Course, yeah. Other stories um, in television, of course, uh, Bell Witch Cave would be visited by a lot of ghost adventurers, ghost hunters, hunters, ghost hunters. <laughs> what was that? Remember that dining guy? Yeah. <laughs> when he when he does those like re- revamp dining, and then he just caught on to the ghost thing. Ghost craze. Where yeah. he would go visit haunted <laughs> haunted dinings. <laughs> Classic shows. What was his name? Charlie something? I forgot his name, man. Of course, it, it would also influence. There would be like, there's a Seattle do metal band called Bell Witch. Merciful Fate had a song called Bell Witch. So you can see the Bell Witch legend has lived on, right? For sure, yeah. And it's influenced countless of books, countless of tropes. The thing is with ghosts is that um, 
like I said, they're interesting metaphors because I personally, and what I was wanted to get to was I personally love the idea of ghosts, the metaphor of ghosts. I love it when I see it in movies, like a ghost story, which is not really a horror movie, but the way the ghost was yeah. implemented as a metaphor for longing mm-hmm. was fantastic. It does, it, it resonates, it's hard, like it affects you. Hamlet, Shakespeare was, Shakespeare used it as the perfect trope yep. for guilt, shame, for to push someone as a catalyst, right? madness hunting of hell house exactly and also you have this idea of not to get too much into it but also when i like when i used to write or when i write poetry every now and then i love to use metaphors of ghosts Mm -hmm. because it does encompass a lot of things you know i mean if it's not horror it encompasses something romantic there's something romantic about a ghost coming back to visit a loved one definitely there's something scary about a a ghost that's been that needs to avenge its death yeah there's also something about honor and respect about a ghost coming back to be to be buried correctly so the idea of ghosts and i think this is why ghosts has lived long in our history it's one of the most enduring uh i guess historical character uh, historical yeah historical uh mythological characters if you will you know mm-hmm. yeah like until this day i mean there's a reason why they make good money in the box office i was looking at the list of the most successful horror characters in the box office and excluding the twilight saga uh which pretty much put the vampire sagas into the billions excluding the twilight sagas the most successful horror characters are demons and devils number one number two are ghosts okay so number three thing- are zombies number four are uh, vampires so something that could resonate to people so of course demons and go uh, demons and devils come more because like a lot of people are religious and yeah, that, yeah and there's still that part of them that still holds on to it yeah but i think the idea of ghosts still resonates with us uh, today and i think um it's one of those enduring uh legacies i think this is where honestly you, i think, I, this think is, I think you nailed it on top i think your analysis on why it resonates is pretty on point and you can see it's it a, like it's a sense of belonging as well yeah and how it transformed like from what we're reading from ancient egyptian stories to japanese horror to also american folk tales ghost stories are ultimately about closure eventually and, and that's yeah. what it all is yeah and it's a good way to conclude it and close this one yeah so yeah so let's get to it so guys thank you for listening to today's episode and next week uh, next week uh, we will tackle maybe another famous horror species entities i'm thinking maybe um demons since that's what's been voted we'll have to see yeah yeah um so we'll try to see what we could tackle maybe we could tackle the exorcist or something they're one of the greatest movies for sure yeah all right guys so um thank you for listening to today's episode oh uh you could listen to us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast apple podcast spotify stitcher deezer wherever you could follow us on our socials as well which is all in the description below all the notes and links of the episode will be also in the description as well if you want to do any further readings and yeah enjoy the month of halloween good night take care
one word to describe what's happening, and that is panic.